That's our focus. When we're in church, that's what we're focused on. That's what we're giving our attention to. And it's a, a daily meditation. In Joshua, God told uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, meditate on my word day and night. We're constantly going over it. We're constantly being in it, uh, keeping focused. I mean, I, I know myself, and this isn't just because I'm a pastor. It's not, my, not a, a thing preachers do. But, you know, I, I've constantly got the word, um, you know, going in my mind. And I'll jot things down. I mean, I've got some of my best stuff on napkins and backside of envelopes and post-it notes, okay? Um, I have a Twitter account, and so every now and then I think it's something that other people should see or hear, and, and I'll throw stuff out there just to encourage and edify people. Um, but the Word is always going on in my life. I'm not saying I sit with the Bible and carry a Bible with me everywhere I go, and, and that's all I do, and I don't give anybody else time. Um, but the Word is, is, has my attention. The Word has my focus. Okay, and so we saw that that was the steps for my renewal. So last week we kind of turned a corner. Uh, we, we saw why it's necessary. We saw the process of renewing our minds. But last week we turned a corner and we saw what are we renewing our minds to. Uh, and we saw that overall what you want to renew your mind to is God's word, period. God's word is what we need to renew our mind to because if you're not renew, if you don't have a renewed mind to the word, then your mind is still on the world. And so we need to get out of what the world says. Um, I made a statement a few weeks ago that said, don't let the world tell you who God is. And don't let the world tell you who you are. Let the word tell you. Because the world doesn't know your father. Jesus showed up on the scene and they didn't even know who he was. In fact, he claimed to be who he was and still nobody believed him. Jesus was with his disciples and he's asking them, what, who are people saying that I am? And the world had no clue. Well, some say you're Elijah. Uh, you know, some say you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. You know, maybe some other prophet. They, the world had no clue. John chapter 1 said that uh, Jesus came into the world, the light came into the world, and the world didn't even comprehend it. Didn't even perceive and say, oh, hey, this is the Messiah. Didn't even see it. Okay, So the world doesn't know who your father is. So you don't let them tell you who he is. You can't do that. Secondly, the world doesn't know who you are. Because you'll find out that God calls you who you are based upon your future and what he's called you to do. God always was, spoke to people's futures. And he spoke to what he knew they would do. Right now, we have a future. And we may not even fully comprehend it. I know I don't. But God speaks things into my life even now. And I, I can uh, see vividly times in my past that he was speaking to my future and I didn't know it I didn't know what was going on but then when I arrived there I said that's why he did this with Abraham remember he changed it used to be Abram and he changed his name from Abram to Abraham and he called him a father of many nations did he wait for Abraham to have children no I mean I think it was like 12 months from the time that he said that to uh, when 
Isaac even shows up on the scene. And you even got Abraham going out of his way, you know, trying to make this thing happen on his own. And God says, no, I said I was going to make you a father of many nations with Sarah. So he changed his name. Uh, we see the same thing with Paul. I mean, he, he knocks, obviously at the time, with Saul. Saul's around killing Christians and throwing Christians in jail and doing all this stuff. And uh, he knocks him off his horse on the way to Damascus. And he starts telling Paul about what he's going to do. Now, did he have any guarantee of what he, what that Paul would, that Saul would get up and say, "Okay, Jesus, I'll do that." Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But what's he doing? He's talking to his future. So this is what God does. He speaks to your future. When people talk to you about who you are or what you're able to do or what your abilities are or what your capabilities are, what do they talk about? What you've done. Or who you are today. I thank God that he's not looking at my past. To, to get me where I need to go. But people will do this. And people will sell you short. People will sell you short. And people will try to stop you. You know Jesus had this happen in his own ministry. One of the closest people to him in his ministry. Tried to stop him from doing what he was supposed to do. Because he did not see his future. Peter, that same conversation where Jesus says, hey, Peter, on this rock I'm going to build my church. Gates of hell won't prevail. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. You know, Peter just had this great revelation from God, from the Holy Spirit, saying, you know, you're the, you're, you're the son of God. And then Jesus goes on and says, all right, guys, this is what's going to happen. They're going to offer me up. I'm going to be turned over. They're going to kill me. But I'm going to come back in three days. And what does Peter do? Lord, may it never be, right? And what does Jesus have to do? Jesus has to turn around to one of his closest guys. I mean, Peter, James, and John were the three closest to him. And obviously he was pretty close because he says, I'm going to start the church with you, with Peter. And he has to turn around and say, get thee behind me, Satan. He didn't even say, get thee behind me, Peter. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because, and it wasn't Peter trying to slow him down, but he understood very quickly how he quickly shifted from God's point of view and God's understanding to man's understanding. And Peter got caught up in emotions. Peter got caught up in his relationship with Jesus. Peter got caught up in how awesome of a person Jesus was and why would anybody want to kill him and why would anybody want to hurt him. And didn't see his purpose. Didn't see his future. Okay? So there's people in our lives, even the closest people to us, that they just simply don't see your future. And you cannot let that deter you from who God has called you to be and what God wants you to do in this earth. Okay? I, don't, I didn't mean to get that far off on that, but it was good. Okay, so last week we looked at three specific areas, three main areas in the Word that we need to align our thinking, renew our minds to. Remember, we're talking about our minds. We're talking about our mindset, our thought processes, our mental capacity. I'm not talking about your brain. I'm talking about your mind, your soul realm. Okay? And we saw three main areas. The first area that we saw, which is the one we're going to look at tonight, is rulership. 
or our authority in the earth. We said that one of the number one areas that a believer needs to renew their mind is to their authority in the earth, your dominion, your rulership. Okay? The number two area that we saw last week was the area of responsibility. What in the world are we supposed to be doing in the earth? What is our responsibility? What are we supposed to be taking care of? Remember, we saw that Adam and Eve, before the fall, they had a totally different thought process. They had a totally, they weren't, they weren't worrying about themselves. They weren't running around saying, what am I going to eat tonight? You know, I'm thirsty. I don't know what I'm going to drink. Man, you know, what am I going to wear today? Uh, where am I going to live? These weren't concerns of theirs. And so we'll be looking at that one uh, next week. And then um, the third one that we saw was our mindset of relationship. This was the third area that every believer needs to renew their mind to. These three areas specifically, um, obviously there's a number of areas that we have to redefine in our lives once we become believers. We need to learn what love is. We need to redefine peace. Uh, We need to find what our purpose is. But I believe that these are three core areas for every believer um, that when you become a new believer, these are three areas that we need to renew our minds to. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us, I know me, myself, when you became a new believer, these probably, for some of you, this may be the first time you're hearing it. It may be the first time you're hearing about your authority in the earth. You may, you may not have known all your life, and you could have been a believer for 35 years and never heard that, hey, you have authority over that. You may have never known that your relationship with God has been restored to the level that we're going to talk about. You may have never heard that, hey, we're not on this earth to run around and try to get the biggest house and the nicest cars and have the greatest clothes and, and worry about paying our bills and, and what are we going to eat tonight and how are we going to put food on the table. This was not our purpose. This may be the first time you're hearing it, but that's, what, that's the great thing about mind renewal. Is it's not the initial, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And... Um, I know for myself that a lot of what I'm teaching now and a lot of what uh, my mind and what my thought process is on, I've gained in the last two or three years, and I'm still learning. I'm still finding a lot about. But these are three specific areas that God has showed me um, that I believe every believer, if we can get this down, if we can get these three areas and understand how these three areas work in our lives, we'll, we'll be effective for the kingdom. And we'll do everything we're, we're here to do. Amen? So the first one um, that we're going to tackle is a kingdom mindset of rulership. Now, let me, let me just throw this out. I, I have to preface with this. And I know uh, many of you have probably heard me say it a million times now, especially in the last five, uh, you know, however long we've been here going through this. Um, but when I say kingdom mind renewal, I mean kingdom. Um, I, I have to, I have to stress what I mean when I talk about the kingdom of God. Um, it's not just a word to me. It's not just a message. Um, there have been ministers that have preached on the kingdom or talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what a kingdom is, um, but. 
have gotten off of it. And right now, um, I can't see myself coming off of it. And, you know, I'm not coming off of it anytime soon. I know that. But it is the message that Jesus brought to this earth. This entire book is about a king, his kingdom, and his children, his royal offspring. Royal offspring. I'm not just talking about any children. I'm talking about children. You know, sometimes the word says that we haven't been adopted in. We've been adopted in to God's family, adopted in to the kingdom. You know what's awesome about that? You know, it's one thing to be born of someone's family, but you know what's so cool about being adopted? They picked you. They picked you. Now, I know all of us as parents, uh, you know, if we could pick our children, we would have picked them, obviously. But there's just something about I went in and picked you. I'm not stuck with you. This isn't just what was handed to me. I chose you. And you got to understand that a king chose you. The word says we've been adopted. He, he hand-picked us. And that's just awesome. So when I say offspring, understand that you've been picked, you've been chosen to be in that family. And it's a royal family. But I have to stress kingdom. I have to stress that. Because it's what the, it's what the entire message uh, of Christianity is all about. And I want to tell you, man degraded it to a religion. But God did not ever mean for it to simply be what people believe. It is what you are, where you live. A kingdom is a government. And I know that we don't see that a lot. Um, You know, in fact, if I make a statement right now and I say the answer to all the world's problems is government. (laughs) And we we automatically go, no, that's the problem, right? Let me tell you, government is not the problem. The people in government are the problem. Okay? Let's just quickly define that. Government is not the problem. The people in government are the problem. And the type of government. And there's all types of governments in the earth. But God, when he put man on this earth, he established a government. That's what he was doing. God is a king. That makes him royalty. And that makes him a government official. That's what a king is. And he had a kingdom or has a kingdom in heaven. And he extended that kingdom. Kings do this. Um, if you know anything about history, when, uh, when a king was over a country, they were always trying to extend their rule because that shows how powerful you are. If you're a king of just your little country, that's one thing. But if you go out and you're able to take over other countries, then that makes you more powerful. And we all know that God is all-powerful. So he's in heaven with a kingdom And he is king. A kingdom is simply a king's domain. And domain is territory. So that was his territory. That was where he rules. And that is where he rules today. 
But when he created the earth, he extended his kingdom. But he did something different um, that most people don't do today. Um, Especially today, but even when kings would go out and rule a country, most of them would do this. I'll just throw out countries, for example. I don't have any historical, any historically off the top of my head that I can use. But, you know, say the, the king of France. And say he goes and he takes over Germany. What a king would do, what most kings would do, is they would conquer that country or that region, bring all those people back to their country as slaves. But the word says that Jesus was born in the fullness of time. That means when time came to completion, when it came time for Jesus to be born. And Jesus was born during the Roman Empire. I'm going to give you a little bit of history, so stay with me just for a second. Jesus was born during the Roman Empire. And this is why. Rome did something different than other countries. When Rome went out and fought and took over and conquered and defeated another country, they did not make all those people slaves and bring them back to Rome. The reason why Rome was so powerful was because they would extend Rome to those countries. And they would allow those people to stay in those countries. And they would allow those people to continue to live their lives. But they did something very important. They established culture. So now, this country, say they take over Persia, it's no longer Persian, it's Roman. And now we have established our culture. This is how you're going to do things now. Culture is a way of living. It's, it's what becomes natural to you. So they said, this is how we do it in Rome. This is how you do it here. This is how we do it in Rome. This is how you do it here. And that's why Rome was such a powerful empire. They, they, I mean, they established probably the strongest empire ever on the face of the planet. And Jesus was born during this time. What they would do is they would uh, go and extend their rule to these other countries and then establish someone, put, some, put someone in charge of that area called a governor. Um, in Jesus' time, where Jesus lived, that man was Pontius Pilate, who Jesus went to. He was a Roman governor. But that wasn't Rome. Jesus wasn't in Rome. Jesus was in Jerusalem. That's a different location. But the Roman Empire continued to let them live the way they lived, do what they wanted to do. But culture was established. They had Roman armies and, and Roman military in the city. And they had a Roman governor that would make sure that that area, that nation, that region was operating according to Roman standards. Okay, So this is what God did. That's why Jesus was born at that specific time. That's why he was born during that specific time. This is what God did. He extended his rule to this earth, but he placed someone else in charge of it to make sure that this earth was to look like heaven. The person, the people he placed in charge was man. Mankind. Obviously, we started with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in charge 
of the earth. They were in charge of taking care of the earth. They were in charge of making sure that the earth had culture like heaven, operated like heaven. Is there sickness in heaven? No, there shouldn't be in the earth. Is there peace in heaven? Yes, there should be in the earth. Okay, so let's look a little bit. I have to put that picture down. I have to get you to understand a kingdom because if you don't understand the kingdom of God, then the authority and the rulership and the dominion that we talk about won't make any sense. Because I'm not talking about bossing people around. I'm not talking about uh, doing whatever you want. Because the world's picture, especially today in America, our picture of leadership is ridiculous. And we think that we want get to get to leadership or um, get to that level because nobody can tell us what to do. We can do our own thing. I'm telling you, when, when you, the higher up you go, the more people you're accountable to. Okay? Leadership is not, uh, I don't have to go in the office, play golf whenever I want to, and nobody can tell me what to do. That is not leadership. Okay? It's not, uh, I can bend the rules. It's not, uh, don't ask me about what I'm doing because it's none of your business. That's not leadership. That's not rulership. That's not authority. And that's what America, especially today, depicts leadership as. And it's terrible. And then leadership messes up, and you can't say nothing about it because he's an authority, and what are you going to do? Or you get to bend the rules for him. We've seen, him with, we've seen it happen with presidents uh, over the ages. That many of them were corrupt people. Why? Because there's, there's no moral standard. There's no you know, ethical code. There's nothing we have. I don't, I don't answer anybody. I'm the most powerful man on the planet. Okay? So that is not leadership. And I have to redefine that. I have to show you what authority is supposed to look like. So this is the first area that we have to look at. I want to um, skip on down to Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. I, I mentioned a little bit on Sunday about ownership versus control. Owning something versus controlling something, okay? When I say that we're in charge of the earth or that uh, we have dominion in the earth, I am not saying that you own it. Owning something and controlling something are two different things, okay? I can own a car, but I can lend it out to Chuck here, and he can drive it. I can live in a house and have control over it and not own it. In fact, I do that right now. The house I live in is not my house. My name's not on it. Okay? I don't own it. I can't just go out and sell it and, and do with it as I, as I want in that sense. But I do control it. I control the thermostat. I control if the lights are left on or not. I control... Uh, what room becomes what? I control if this is a bedroom or an office. If this is a living room. Now, when I say I control, I don't because really my wife controls all that. Okay, we're finding out who's in charge there. I've had a couple rooms in my sights, and I apparently have no access. Getting an office, office here leaves me no office at the house, apparently, uh, which is fine. Um, 
But owning something and controlling something are two totally different things. The owner of the earth is God. Psalms 24. Let's throw that up there real quick. Psalms 24, verse 1. And I don't have it here, so I'll read it from here. Psalms 24, verse 1. We got it? Psalms 24, verse 1. The earth is the who? Lord's and all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. So the earth, the world, everything in it belongs to him. Verse 2. Do we have verse 2? For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So the earth belongs to God. It does not belong to man. It does not belong to the enemy. Despite what people may try to tell you, regardless of what's happening in the earth, does not say anything about God. You know, one of the things that I hate the most is when people call natural disasters acts of God. That's probably one of the worst things you could say. Because now we've just pinned something on God that he's absolutely incapable of doing. A hurricane, tornadoes, all this stuff. These tsunamis and storms, earthquakes, these are not acts of God. Not the God. A God. Because the word does say that Satan is the God of this world. That is true. But the God, God the creator of the universe, my father God, the king, those are not acts of God. He cannot do that. He's incapable of doing that. Okay? So we see here, the earth is the Lord's in all the fullness. That means all the completion, the world and those who dwell therein. Now, let's look at Psalms chapter 8. So the earth belongs to who? God. Very good, Julie Grace. Love it. See, I have no problem with the kids being in here because they can get the word. And she may not even completely know what she's saying or what we're talking about, but her spirit does because there's a spirit being inside of that body. Amen. Psalms chapter 8. Let's look at this. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing servant, infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of whose fingers? Your fingers. So God is the creator, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. Look at this. For you have made him a little lower than angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. He's talking about man here. Verse 6. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. 
So who has control here? We do. Man. A little lower than the angels. That means just simply that we're not celestial beings that are stuck in a spirit realm. We have access in the earth. A little lower than the angels, not a little bit higher than monkeys. Okay? That's, there's a difference there. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So we saw that the earth belongs to the Lord, is owned by God, but somebody else has control. Now, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we've been looking at the verse uh, almost every single service that I've done, I think I've, I've gone there. Because it's so important. It's to understand what God was trying to do at creation. And it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Okay? Let him have dominion. Lines up with what we just read in Psalms chapter 8. But here's the thing that happened. Man lost that authority. Man gave over control. Because... Man was unwilling to still, to still submit to the authority. Okay? So this is the thing about who's in control now. Because there is a God of this world. There is a prince of this world. Jesus said this himself. The ruler of this world has come and he has nothing in me. He said this over in John. So there's someone that's ruling, controlling, having their way. On this earth. And it's not according to man. Okay? So when someone says that there's a different God of this world, that Satan is controlling the earth, he's the ruler of the earth, that's true. But we're talking about mind renewal back to rulership, back to authority. So now we need to find out, well, where do we have a say? How do we have a say in this whole thing? Man had man gave it up. Here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing about what happened in the garden. This is so awesome. Because God's God's plan was never to eventually take man back to heaven. Adam and Eve were not walking around saying, "When are we going to get back to heaven? When are we going to go to heaven?" This was not their thought process. It's not what they were concerned with. They were, they were concerned about God's things. They were concerned about taking care of the earth. They were concerned about what were the tasks and assignments that God gave them in the garden. Okay? This is where Adam and Eve's mindset is at. When they lost control of the earth, God did not sit back in his throne and say, well, forget that plan. Let's just yank them all back up here. If that was the plan, then why are we still here? God immediately, Genesis chapter 3, God immediately put into play a plan of redemption. Genesis chapter 3. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? This is right after Adam and Eve has sinned. This is right after they've eaten of the fruit. Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, this is Adam speaking, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? 
Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, here we go. You are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, that means division, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God immediately puts in the plan, this is how I'm going to take you out. This is how I'm going to get mankind back in their position. This is authority restored. This is what God was trying to do. He would not immediately say, man, I can't believe they blew it. Now I just got to bring them all to heaven. They're no good in the earth. They have no control. They don't have any dominion anymore. Forget it. That is not why he sent, that this is why he sent his son, Jesus. He did not send Jesus to the earth to say, all right, you know, I, I got to make a way for them to get back to heaven. I mean, they got to be holy and they got to be, uh, you know, sinless and blameless. So let me, let me get them ready. Let me send my son, die on the cross, rise again so I can get them to heaven. That's not true. And this is what we've heard probably almost all of our lives. I myself believe that. I I had bits and pieces of authority that I've heard. But ultimately, the end came to Jesus died on the cross for my sins so I could go back to heaven. And that's not why. Period. And this is a very small percentage of people that will preach this that understand this but when you understand the kingdom you quickly understand that your purpose is not in heaven what god has created us for and created us to do is not in heaven it is in this earth and that may be a hard statement for some people i'm not saying that we're not going to heaven because we are The Bible very specifically says that his people will go to heaven. Very true. And and there's more that I'm studying out on end times and rapture and, you know, how long we'll be there and and all that. There's so much that I'm studying out. I don't have it all figured out. Okay? But I do know this much, that my purpose is in the earth to do what God originally planned man to do. And Jesus made a way back for that not just to get to heaven. Heaven is a result of what Jesus did. But there was a purpose why Jesus came. And that verse right there, Genesis 3.15, throw that back up there real quick. Genesis 3, verse 15. God puts this plan immediately. I'm talking as soon as they sinned. He confronts the enemy right there and says, this is what's going to happen. He shall bruise your head. Who's he? Jesus. Jesus. And you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head. He immediately puts a plan into place to redeem man back to their position. So now we have the earth in control of man. 
handed over to Satan. And Jesus has brought us back into a position of authority. So now there's a conflict on earth. There's a conflict on earth between man and the enemy over the earth. Because what was Satan trying to do the whole time? What's the reason? What's the whole reason he ended up out of heaven and cast out? Pride. He wanted control. He wanted to take over. He wanted to be a God. Okay? So this is what has happened now. This is what's taken place. So Jesus came. And he came as a king. He came as a person in the position of a, in a government position. He didn't come just as a suffering servant. He didn't, came, he didn't come as a person uh, just doing good for people. And, you know, let me show up on the scene and, and for three years of my life, um, I'm going to spend my time, you know, being nice to people and forgiving people's sins. And, you know, I'll heal fill people, few people over here. Not what he was doing. He came as a king to bring back a kingdom. And everything he did was to show people this is what the kingdom of God is like. In my, in my kingdom, there is no sickness. In my kingdom, there is no fear. In my kingdom... There is forever peace. In my kingdom, there is no lack. This is what Jesus is doing with his life. And he's showing us, he's the example to us of what to do. When people say, what would Jesus do? I don't know if people really fully understand what Jesus would do. Get the bracelet, get the necklace, you know, get the t-shirt, get the backpack. I mean, that came out when I was in high school, so it was... WWJD, everything, with a little question mark. And the question mark was the biggest part of that whole thing because it was more like, what would Jesus do? Because when we say be like Christ or be Christ, like I'm not saying be patient with people, talk nice to people, be a good person. And that's where people want to go with who was Jesus and what did he do. But Jesus... Healed people. Jesus cast out devils. Jesus operated in authority and dominion over the earth. The physical earth. This is what Jesus did in his ministry. Let me give you some references. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint the picture of who Jesus was and what he did on the earth. And I'm going to give you references. So if you're taking notes... Write these down. I'm, I'm not going to go through every verse for the sake of time. Uh, most of what I'm going to say you probably know is in the Bible. Okay? Um, but I want you to jot the references down so you can go back and you can see how Jesus did this. Okay? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus made this statement to his disciples. He said, all authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, did Jesus have all authority? Yes. Okay. Jesus had all authority. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, or Matthew chapter 7, verse 29. Matthew 7, 
verse 29 says, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So even when he was just talking, even when he was just teaching people, he taught as someone with authority. Okay? That was Matthew seven twenty nine. Matthew chapter 8, verse 9. Let's do Matthew chapter 8. Let me read that. Uh, from verse 5, I believe it is. Uh, this is an encounter that Jesus had with a Roman centurion. Now, a Roman centurion is in authority. He holds a position of authority over the military, over the soldiers. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But look at this man's response. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. We're going to talk about this more on Sunday. You do not want to miss Sunday morning. I'm telling you right now. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. The word also. This centurion recognized that just as I am in authority and under authority, you are in authority and under authority. Okay? So Jesus had authority. Here are some things that he uh, exercised authority over. And just jot these verses down. One thing that Jesus operated in authority over is death. John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is the story of Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus was dead for four days. Jesus shows up on the scene and does what? Raises him from the dead. And we know many other accounts. Uh, Jairus' daughter, the little 12-year-old girl. Uh, there was a woman that was actually in a funeral pr- procession for her son. And he stops the whole thing and raises the man back to life. How's that for a funeral? Let's just bring the guy back to life, okay? So Jesus exercised authority over death. He exercised authority over sin. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 6 specifically. This was a story uh, that Jesus uh, went to, or Jesus had a man while he was preaching in a house. His friends took him up to the roof, tore the roof off, and dropped him, paralyzed, on a, on a stretcher, on a bed. And Jesus not only heals him, but forgives him of his sin. So Jesus had authority over sin. Jesus had authority over demons. Mark chapter 5. And again, there are several occasions. There's not just one, but I'm just giving you one quick reference so you can go back and see that Jesus exercised authority over demons. Demons came looking for him, bowing down to him, and begging him not to do stuff. That's some kind of authority. They wouldn't even run away from him. They came to him. And the last one here, Jesus exercised authority over nature, over the earth. Uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. I think specifically that, uh, that instance was when he walked on the water. But he told storms to stop. He cursed a fig tree. I mean, he talked to a tree. And killed it. He didn't spray no. He didn't put no roundup on it. He just said, you're cursed. You ain't bearing fruit. Forget it. 
and he cursed the fig tree. That's some authority. That's some dominion. So Jesus exercised authority. Jesus delegated authority. And we want to look at some stuff here. Jesus delegated authority. Did I put Matthew chapter 10 in there? Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus delegated. This word delegate, let me give you a definition real quick of this word delegate. We've all heard the word, but let me just give you a a dictionary definition of what this word is. Delegate is to commit powers to another as an agent or representative. To delegate is to commit powers to another as an agent or representative. That means to hand over my authority to someone else's acting on my behalf. This is delegation. Delegation isn't passing the buck and I'm going to go have Aaron do something because I'm too lazy to do it. No, it's I want him to exercise some authority on my behalf. And if anyone says, hey, what are you doing here? Uh, Pastor Mark told me. Oh, okay. And that clears you. And that gives you full rights to what I would do. Delegation. This is delegation. So we see in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Look what Jesus does here. This is with his disciples. When he had called his 12 disciples to him. Look, he didn't have a posse running around with him just so he could have some backup. His 12 disciples were very specific. He called his 12 disciples to him. Look at this. He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Did Jesus do those things? Yes, he sure did. And now he's got his 12 disciples that have been following him, that have been working with him, that have seen him work, and now he's saying, you go and do this. At another time in the word, Jesus sent out 70. He sent out 70 people. And we're thinking, wow, 70 people doing what Jesus did. Can I tell you right now that every believer should be doing what Jesus did to this capacity? To this capacity. What does it take? A renewed mind. You can't walk in what you don't know. You can't operate in what you haven't received revelation on. And if you didn't know you had authority, if you didn't know that you could talk to sickness in your body and command it to go and command it to leave your body, if you didn't know that, then you ain't walking in it. You ain't exercising it. You ain't putting it there. Okay? You have to know something. And this is what mind renewal is all about. And you have to think on it constantly. You have to make it a part of your life. I'm not talking about know something. See, here in America, we go to school. We get by on a test. And then we put a a piece of paper on the wall that says we did all this. How many doctors are going back and reviewing the stuff they learned in school? And just because you got a diploma... What if they barely passed with the D from medical school? That's kind of scary. I didn't do so well on the surgery part of the exam. I barely got in there. In fact, you know, I think the teacher may have given me a curve. Wow, okay. This ain't about passing the test. 
You want to pass the daily test? Then you need to be daily in the Word. Daily in the revelation. Let me just give you a little mm, let me just give you a little tidbit from Sunday because man, it's gonna be good. The reason why a lot of people waver in their faith or their faith isn't as strong as it should be is because they don't have a constant flow of information on the word. Wherever you are putting your mind more is what is going to win. And in every situation in life, there it is based upon a flow of information. When you go to the doctor, you're given a flow of information. When you watch the news and you see that there's a storm getting ready to hit your house, that's a flow of information. And everything in this world, let me tell you right now, I may be your pastor, but I am not the only one preaching to you. The news will preach to you. Your co-workers will preach to you. Your families will preach to you. Doctors will preach to you. What's preaching? Preaching is just simply proclaiming or declaring something. And we need to have a constant flow of the word to combat all the other preaching because let me tell you right now that all the other preaching that you're getting in your life is contrary to what i'm telling you here and is contrary to what the word says it's very strategic the enemy's very strategic i just showed you how in jesus's life jesus had one of his closest people jesus cut a buckle there and said wow you really care about me peter you know you're right peter what am i doing I don't need to go to that cross. You love me. We're close. And for the sake of one person, you give up the, the mission to save the whole world and to redeem mankind? But no. You know, what, you know why Jesus was able to answer back so quickly and say, get thee behind me, Satan? Because he had a constant flow of information from his father. How many times does it say that Jesus spent all night praying? Obviously, he didn't have a Bible to read, but he was the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm telling you, if you're struggling in combating some of the information that we're getting from the world and outside the Word and outside of church, then we need to get that flow of information coming from the Word. I'm not the only one preaching to you. There's a sermon coming to you on Monday morning when you get to work and they're talking about laying people off. There's a sermon coming to you when you check your bank account and there's not enough money there to pay your bills. Something's preaching real loud. Something, there's a, some form of information coming through that's combating what the Word says. There's a form of information coming when... When we can't get our marriages right and we can't get on the, on the same page. The enemy's strategic in these things. And what I'm preaching and what this word says overcomes it. But it won't overcome it unless you put your mind to it. That's how we combat that flow of information. Amen? And we're going to get more into that on Sunday. I, I, I had to put that out there because it... 
I don't know how we got there, but it was good. It was good. Amen. So we see that Jesus turned over authority, delegated authority. But let's look at this in Matthew chapter 16. We've been looking at this passage a lot. Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? He's talking to his disciples. And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not prevail against it. And I will give you, here it is, Jesus is all about handing stuff off, man. I mean, if you think Jesus was just here showboating and saying, man, look at what I can do, let me show you what's up, let me come talk to the devil a little bit, and let me take care of some sickness and then disappear, that's not what Jesus is doing. He's giving stuff off. He's saying, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. You know what keys denote? You know what keys denote? You know what keys mean? Access. Authority. You have authority. Keys in this specific instance means authority. To where? Heaven. I mean, come on, we've been talking, we've been hearing this all our lives, that heaven is locked up and we can't enjoy heaven until we get there. Give me a break. This says, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Where's the binding taking place? On earth. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Where's the loosing taking place? On earth. Because why? Because you have the keys to the kingdom. Of heaven. You have authority in the earth. This right here, I said it on Sunday. If you weren't here on Sunday, man, get that message because we've been talking about the body and we identified who the body of Christ is. And we saw that the church, the church, Jesus is talking about the church here. We just saw that he delegated authority, delegated uh, dominion to his disciples. To 12 disciples, and there was another instance when he did uh, 70 disciples. But right here, he's talking about the church. He said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you. Now here, he's not talking to Peter and saying Peter has access, but nobody else does. He's talking to the church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I said this on Sunday. Nothing in this earth should happen or take place without our permission. The the words binding and loosing. You can replace those with the words forbidding or permitting. To permit means that something has your permission. This is the position of the church. I will build my church, and I will give the church the keys to the kingdom of heaven, which means the church is responsible for what's not taking place or for what is taking place in the earth. That's the power of the church. And it's happening 
in the earth. Heaven's not waiting. We're not waiting on heaven to do something so we can see it in the earth. Heaven is waiting on us so they can loose it or bind it there. Understand that. That's where our authority comes in. That's where our dominion comes in. So Jesus delegated uh, his authority, his rulership, to his disciples while he was on the earth. And then he turned it over to the church. Did the church do what Jesus did? I think I've got references for these as well. Yes, I do. Write these down. The church healed people. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John, they're on their way to church. And they come to the gate called Beautiful. And there's a lame man there, paralyzed, can't move. And what do they do? Heal him. They say, get up in the name of Jesus. Get up. Peter and John healed. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas cast out a demon. And again, there's not just one instance in all these things. There's several. Paul and Silas cast out a demon out of a girl. Did Jesus heal? Did Jesus cast out demons? All right, here's another one. We said that Jesus um, had authority over death. Paul heals somebody in Acts chapter 20. Had a young man fall out of a window while he was preaching. Acts chapter 20. He goes down there, heals him, and then gets back back with the message. Okay? So the church is operating in the authority that Jesus operated in. Now let me just give you a few positions because when you understand authority, you understand that there's a position that comes with that. Um, and I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna close with this here. But we've been restored to a position of authority. We've been restored back to a position of authority. We've been restored back to what, what man, what Adam and Eve lost in Genesis. We're there. Jesus died on the cross. Because you can't be in a position of authority and have a sinful nature. So Jesus dies on the cross, makes you holy. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, For now you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, you know who keeps us from walking in this authority? We do. Because old things have been passed away, but how many times you got that past coming up, talking to you? And God's saying, what past? I don't remember you doing that. I don't remember you hurting that person. I don't remember you walking away from me. We're the ones that stand in the way. But let's look at this real quick. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, look at this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the religion of Christianity. No. He has conveyed us into believing something different. No, it says he has conveyed us. That word conveyed is the word transferred. He has transferred us into the 
kingdom of the son of his love. The kingdom. You've been brought into a kingdom in whom we have redemption. There's that word redemption. You know, we've, we never look at these words. We've never stopped to look at them. But that R-E, as a preface, a prefix, meaning that you are going back to something that was there before. To redeem means to buy back. And the word re means you're going back. Restored, redeemed, renew, a renewed mind. That's why I'm not saying you're going to get a new mind. I'm saying we need to get a renewed mind. Because what we need to think on was already there. We just got to put our mind to it. I'm not telling you something new. I know it's new to hear. But I'm actually telling you what God meant to happen from the beginning of time. That's the oldest thing in the book. And remember, we've been saying that a a long time, as time goes by, that we lose the original purpose of something. It gets lost. It gets cloudy. It gets cluttered. That's what the enemy's been trying to do. You can't get rid of the Bible. They've tried it. You can't get rid of Christians. They've tried it. You can't get rid of God. They've tried it. But if he can cloud it up a little bit, if he, if he can get you to think just a little bit off, if he can get you, I mean, that's all he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He, say, he said, did God, what did God say about the tree? Oh, they said, uh, he said that if we eat of it, we will surely die. Well, you will surely not die. He just throws one little Tiny, three-letter word. Right? That's all it took. And the course of mankind is completely different because of one little word. So, we have been transferred into the kingdom of his son. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship, is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship. Now, I'm not, you know, I don't have a problem with the term Christian. Because I understand what it really means. I have a problem with people that call themselves Christians and they don't understand what it means and don't really live up to that. But a, a proper way to say who we are now is citizens. You are a citizen of the kingdom. And we'll get into that at some point because with with citizenship, I mean, for all of us that are American citizens, if you only understood the rights and privileges and benefits that come with that, that not everyone in the world can share. You can't just walk into this country and just, I'm in America, so I'm an American. It doesn't happen that way. It does not happen that way. Citizenship comes with so many rights and privileges, and we'll get into that. But it says here that we are citizens. That means that we have some rights and benefits that that someone who's not in the kingdom of God doesn't have. But guess what? If you don't know that you have those rights, that's what, what do they say? Know your rights. Know your benefits. If you don't know that, I mean, if my grandfather has left me a bank account that has millions of dollars in it, 
and no one bothered to tell me, and I'm here barely making it through, and I have access to this thing, what's the one thing keeping me from getting to it? Knowledge. I just need to know about it. And here I am struggling to pay this and struggling to do this, and I can't get this. And this whole time I've had access to this bank account that nobody told me about. I didn't know about it. Nobody bothered to call up. Well, guess what? I am giving you knowledge today that you are a citizen in the kingdom of God. There are rights and privileges and benefits that come along with being a citizen in his kingdom. Amen? Um, Another thing, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 1, we are seated with Christ. We've been talking about the body on Sunday nights. Uh, It's been some really good messages. But when you understand that Christ is a king and Christ is royalty and you are a part of his body, that makes you royalty. That puts you in a position. Which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21. Far above all principality and power. Not just right above. Far above. All principality, power, might, dominion. Every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in that which is to come. 22. And he put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church. And who's the church? His body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So you are seated with Christ. 2, chapter verse 6. Or chapter 2, verse 6. Real quick. Chapter 2, verse 6. Ephesians. And raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places. That's where you're at. That's where you're at. That makes you royalty. Nobody, not just anybody sits at the right hand of a king. You study it out. The right hand of a king is very important. There's a lot of prominence that goes there. And it's a position of authority. You're in a position of authority. Another thing that the word calls us is ambassadors. Ambassadors, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You are an ambassador. Let me tell you what an ambassador is real quick. An ambassador is a representative of a ruling authority. Look, Paul is not just running around and just randomly picking these names that have to do with kingdoms and have to do with governments and have to do with official business. They're very specific. There is a reason why he's picking the word ambassador. And you are an ambassador for Christ. You are his representative, not just of him, the the spirit, the person of God and his likeness. You are an ambassador of his kingdom. You are in the earth to show people this is what heaven's like. This is what heaven is supposed to, this is what heaven looks like, and this is how you can have it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. This is Paul talking again. He says, for which I am am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly, boldly. Look, when you understand who you're representing, you'll be bold about it. When you understand that you're representing a king and his kingdom, 
you'll be bold about it. And the second thing that makes uh, ambassadors so that, that I have to specify is an ambassador is in another territory. An ambassador's work is only done in a territory away from the country, the home country. A United States ambassador has no authority in the United States. His territory is in other countries. Well, we have ambassadors to other countries. Why? So we can represent America in those countries. That's what an ambassador does. If you're in heaven, you cannot rule as an ambassador. But we are in a different country. You're in a different country. You're of a different culture. You're in this world, but not of it. And the last thing, real quick, real quick, the last thing that the word says that we are is kings. Kings. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says, Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. You know, the word says that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Who are those kings and lords? It's his people. He's the ultimate king. He's the ultimate authority. But under him are kings that ought to be ruling and reigning in this life. Revelations chapter 5, verse 10. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. They will reign. Where? On the earth. This is our position. This is our mindset of authority. Look, I, oh, I said it from the beginning. If I'm going to get you anywhere, I have to get your head there first. If I can't get you to think a certain way, then you'll never overcome in that area. So if I can't get you, if I can show you what God's Word says about your authority, your position in Christ, your rulership, your dominion, then you can walk in it. God said, my people have been destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Just because they don't know. Not for a lack of the anointing. Not for a lack of my presence. Not for a, a lack of me showing up in their midst. For a lack of knowledge. Okay? We have to gain knowledge on our position. Who we are. Our rulership and dominion in this earth. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you.